Would you support StoryCast by simply lifting a finger? Well, you can, right now. And every time you go to shop at Amazon, just go to our website first, storycastpodcast.com, and click on the Amazon banner. Simple as that. Then you shop as normal, and we get a kickback on everything you purchase. Thank you. We humans are funny creatures. Call it our moral code or just plain stubbornness. But when we're faced with an unwanted fork in the road that forces us to pick between two very undesirable options, we kind of just want to give up and hope we spontaneously combust. It all comes down to the idea that we don't like to make a choice that has a guaranteed outcome that we don't like. Take, for instance, just the other day. My two-year-old shoved his seven-month-old baby sister down to the ground. Yeah, she's crawling and standing. And he's usually pretty kind and patient and all that, but there we were, as the older brother pushed the baby sister down pretty good. So how did it all start? She had clambered over to a toy of his he simply didn't want her to get to. And in his mind, this was the last straw. This could not happen. To him, this was a big deal. So he went for it and pushed her down. And of course he got in trouble, time out, the toy taken away, and all this punishment precipitated upon the fact that he must then go apologize and agree to not do it again, to which he refused with an adamant no over and over. Thus began classic high noon standoff all morning long between two-year-old and two three-plus decade-olds with a baby in the middle who had forgotten about the whole thing, if she ever even knew it was a thing at all. So his case, he should not have to and would not agree to apologize. It was his toy after all. And as far as he was concerned, she was about to break it. So then, he was presented with a choice. An apology of which he refused, of which he didn't feel responsible, or face timeout all morning or all day, as long as it would take. And it took some time, more than an hour. He was confined to the corner, then his room, then to his crib, and we, the parental units, we didn't budge, even though we almost did at one point. He was faced with this compulsory, earth-shattering choice between two options he didn't want at all, to offer a sincere apology or to spend the rest of his life in timeout. The idea of being stuck between a rock and a hard place feels like a paradox. You obviously have to surface on the other side, but you don't want to, and not only don't know how to, but you can't even conceive of a notion of the best decision. It's the epitome of a seemingly impossible choice. And in our case, my son eventually caved. He apologized, and it looked, felt, and sounded sincere. And there hasn't been any shoving since. But decision-making in the real world, it's not always so cut and dry. This time on the StoryCast, choosing between the lesser of two evils. Chapter 1. Monster Mash After a ten-year-long journey, and it was long, it seemed nothing could truly stop Odysseus on his journey sailing home to Ithaca, Greece, not New York, to assume his place as the rightful king and to his loving wife, Penelope. But as he and his crew journey on, there are storms and creatures and cyclopses and sorceresses and sirens, the works, 
And now upon angering the god Poseidon, as you do, it seems he'd never survive this next trial. Because what awaits Odysseus at the Straits of Messina is a whole different monster, or monsters, really. You see, directly in the path of Odysseus's ship, in a narrow passage between the bottom tip of Italy and the island of Sicily, are two great mythological creatures. On one side stands Charybdis. She was once a naiad, river nymph of the forest, and daughter of Poseidon, lord of the sea. She grew to imitate her father who destroyed men at sea, so she did the same, but found no joy in this. She became full of regret for destroying men and causing distress of loved ones. So to cure her sadness, she then looked to her past and tried to return to a life of happiness, but her guilt never went away. Her guilt consumed her and disfigured her. She became trapped in the prison of her past and kept re-experiencing her destruction. So she regresses to her destructive past and the god Zeus punishes her by transforming her into a monstrous whirlpool, a monster beneath the sea that consumes both boat and man and drowns them. All the while, she gets her strength from the roots of a fig tree that grows nearby, just up a cliff from the sea. And then on the other side of this narrow water passageway, just an arrow's throw away, there's Scylla. Scylla was once human, a beautiful sea nymph who loved a man turned god named Glaucus. She was obsessed and consumed with her love for this man, fearful of not having him forever. And then a great sorceress, Circe, also loved this same man, Glaucus, and out of jealousy turned Scylla into a fearful monster, a monster obsessed, a monster who consumes. Scylla became her great flaws. She became a 12-foot-tall hydra, a water serpent, of course, with six long necks, each with a head full of razor-sharp teeth. Oh, and 12 tentacles like legs, just for kicks. So there, across from Charybdis, Scylla is perched, consuming and killing anything within range in the Straits of Messina. These monsters are so closely located within the passage that sailors are forced to contend with one or the other, seemingly. There's no way around. Sail through the middle, you're forced to contend with both. Choose one or the other and face a certain destruction, a conundrum, a paradox, a parable of literally epic proportions. Both monsters have inspired terror for centuries, but also both are magically awe-inspiring and beautiful to look upon, a spectacle, certain death, one way or another. But Odysseus, he has a leg up because he has some inside info. He follows the advice he'd received once from that same sorceress, Circe, you know, the one who turned Scylla into the sea monster and stole her boyfriend. Circe had once taken Odysseus as a lover, yet he escaped her formidable grasps to continue on his journey home. As Odysseus and his crew approach the narrow channel, he chooses to follow her advice to ignore Charybdis and instead sail past near Scylla, who unbeknownst to Odysseus had been encouraged by her mother who was instructed by Circe to tell Scylla to only pounce on this ship once. As they enter this horrific, awe-inspiring gauntlet, disaster strikes indeed, as six of Odysseus's crewmen are gobbled up by Scylla, who does only strike once, just as her mother said to. Eventually, Charybdis also destroys the ship and all the crewmen, but because of his path, Odysseus would survive himself by clinging to the fig tree branches above Charybdis's lair. 
Odysseus survives based on the holy trifecta, preparation, execution, and luck. But even though he survives this tragedy, he ends up marooned on an island, detained by a great temptress and lover, Calypso, for many years. Eventually, the gods step in, as they so often do in Greek mythology, and order Calypso to release Odysseus from her trance. But Calypso has a final offer, an ultimatum. Once again, Odysseus finds himself between a rock and a hard place. To be free from Calypso's spell and once again embark on his journey home, to be with his wife and to reign as king in his homeland, or remain on the island with Calypso and become immortal as her lover for eternity. Odysseus was again stuck, now between his undying want to return home and a literal undying desire. Spoiler alert, Odysseus leaves and 20 or so odd years later, makes it home, finds his wife, and the story goes on. It literally goes on to another story. But what's the moral of this story, after all? Well, Scylla, the Hydra, she embodies fear, a fear that casts doubt and defeats purpose and sends us farther away from finding our future. Scylla teaches us that fear is not the answer. And Charybdis, the whirlpool, embodies guilt, a life built on past regret that creates shame, which begets guilt. And guilt sends us spiraling back in time forever stuck in our past destruction. We all face this trial. Maybe you have before, and you will again, when faced with two unfavorable choices, when you're stuck between your own Scylla and Charybdis, or just a rock in a hard place. Consider the lesson of Odysseus. Remember the past, but keep it just there. Admire the future, but consider it just that. But most of all, be mindful of the present, the present which is narrow, this narrow passage of time in which distractions lead to destruction, a present in which obsessions transform us into monsters. So instead, face your own Straits of Messina, not from guilt of the past or fear of the future, but from your true identity. In this narrow passage of time, consider who you are and you'll find your way. We always do. But there's another moral to this story. Consider good advice and use wise judgment. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer and consider what they both have to say and choose wisely. Circe was both friend and foe to Odysseus, yet he never discovered the gravity of choosing to follow Circe's advice. He never discovered how her intervention actually saved his life. So the next time you're facing a tough decision and don't know what to do or what to say, or how to vote. Remember, preparation, go ask a friend, execute, think, what would Odysseus do? And then just hope for a little luck. Chapter two, counting on you. Sometimes when you're stuck between two difficult decisions, you just have to trust your gut. But when your gut's not enough, you can try to find trust in the numbers because numbers don't lie. What follows is the true story of a family of five, two sons, one colossal choice, and many numbers discovered at the crossroads of life or death. September 2015, the year Jaden and Anais. 
were born to Nicole and Christian McDonald of Braidwood, Illinois. Two baby boys, two bodies, otherwise perfect, yet physically joined at the head. Three, the age of the conjoined twins' older brother, Aza, as the family of five began their complicated journey. 1491, the year of the first documented case of craniopagus, a rare fused cranium condition that affects only around 10 babies for every million births in the U.S. today and only around 2% of all conjoined twins. 40%. The amount of these conjoined twins that even survive pregnancy. 33%. The number of those babies who don't make it immediately after birth, usually suffering from organ failure. 25%. The number of craniopagus twins who actually survived their day of birth. And so it was with Jaden, the rambunctious, healthy one, and his brother Anias, the quiet, inquisitive one, resilient despite health problems with breathing, feeding, vision, and his heart. 80% the number of conjoined twins who die by the age of two, and just 2% of those are conjoined at the head. One, one unbelievable decision, one monumental choice between life or death, and two parents who stared down the terrifying realities of both action and inaction, an impossible decision, both options burdened with immense danger. 1.5 centimeters, the amount of brain tissue estimated to be shared by the boys. 1952, the year of the first successful surgical separation of a craniopagus case, 15-month-old twins. The groundbreaking surgery lasted 12 hours and only one twin survived. 59, the tally of these successful surgical separations, with seven of those completed by a Dr. James Goodrich, a neurosurgeon from Bronx, New York. 833 miles, the distance between the boys' first home and the Montefiore Medical Center where their precarious separation surgery would take place. 13 hours, the length of the drive that the McDonald parents would embark upon after quitting their jobs and moving to New York to begin the long, tedious, anxious ordeal. Three, the number of risky pre-operations endured by Jaden and Anias over their first year to begin clipping blood vessels and painstakingly separate brain tissue. One, one life. One lovable, beautiful boy, at least one twin, whom statistics would say would most commonly suffer a physical deficit after a surgery of this magnitude. 13, 13 months, the age of Jaden and Anias as together, they rolled into the operating room for one terribly long day. Not 1.5, but five by seven centimeters. The area of brain tissue Dr. Goodrich and his team would eventually discover was actually shared by the twins, an area four times larger than the brain scans and 3D models had prepared the doctors for. And a lifetime of experience, instinct, and good fortune the medical team would endure as they continued plotting and snipping and cauterizing and reconstructing, despite best laid plans. 17 hours, after which piece by piece, the two boys would finally be apart for the first time in their lives. And two, two operating tables. The two tables Jaden and Anias would lie upon for many more hours as the neurosurgeons and plastic surgeons completed their masterpiece. 
and two lives. Well, there are always two, but now two bodies living, separate at last. As one family, not out of the woods yet, but perhaps each of them sleeping at least a little more peacefully tonight. Chapter 3. Voices in Your Head Life throws us all kinds of curveballs. Making tough decisions is just part of being human. And when we're facing a tough choice, sometimes the answer is just hiding in plain sight. This song, Reason, is track 2 in our Season 2 album. And that album is all yours when you become a monthly StoryCast donor at support.storycast.com. Someday I'll know Someday I'll write A song all about it at night Someday I'll know Why you took a little time out To spread a little light out with the camera Oh ho 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 Cause I got a million miles of reason Talking to my thoughts and easing My own fears away The fears away And I got a hundred thousand pieces Of your collecting memories And things I could give away Give away Someday You'll fight But someday you'll sigh And never come back one night Someday you'll fly But you feel a little closer Cause you got the little close-ups with the camera Oh, ho, 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 ho I got a million miles of reason Talking to my thoughts and easing My own fears away Fears away And I got a hundred thousand pieces Of your collecting memories And things I could give away Give away Remember what it used to be And love is not a feeling 
just to make you think that you succeed and family is all you have when nothing else is meant to be and words are meant to make you think about life is what you make it The Storycast is written and produced by me. I'm on Twitter at Russell Silva. This week you heard music from Nick Cave, Chad Lawson, Waverly, Paul Maria, and myself. And if you like the show, please spread the word by leaving us a quick review on iTunes. It'll only take you 30 seconds. Thanks. The Storycast will be back in November with another chapter of life that tells the story of us through a common thread. So until next time, think, feel, and wonder a little bit more.